0: Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. All the life we see, the beauty in the trees, the canopy, the branches, the leaves, the majesty of it all. It all started in the dirt, invisible forgotten in dark places. Buried. Before we get started this morning, uh, we are taking another trip to Israel in uh, May of 2020. And if you'd like to join us for that, We will have an opportunity on May the 5th uh, of this year, one year ahead of time, to do an informational trip if you've ever dreamed of walking where Jesus walked, experiencing some of the places firsthand that we're going to talk about even this morning. I would invite you to start thinking about that. Uh, If tradition holds, uh, we will fill up that trip in about 24 hours. And so if you'd like to be on the front end of that, I'd just encourage you to be thinking about that. My favorite preacher ever was and is Dr. E.V. Hill. Dr. Hill was the pastor of Mount, uh, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. Whenever I would take a group of high school kids to work on Skid Row in L.A., if Pastor Hill was preaching on that Sunday, we would go to church at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist, all three hours of it. And it was beautiful, and it was epic. Dr. Hill stood about that tall... But what he lacked in height, he made up in volume and intensity. He would exfoliate you for free every single time you showed up for church. I remember Dr. Hill preaching on 1 Corinthians, the passage we have been looking at. And I remember his introduction, even though it happened some 28 years ago. He would start church exactly the same way. He would say, I know you brought your Bible, so take it out. And we will be looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth from the 15th chapter and the third verse, the holy word of God from my mouth to your ears. (laughs) I mean, even the intro wanted, you just wanted to say amen to every single thing that he said. You should Google Dr. E.V. Hill. You're welcome. All right, I'm just going to say that. I still remember how he broke down the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I wanted to be like Dr. Hill when I grew up. I wanted to preach like him. I wanted to act like him. I wanted to lead like him. But I remember how he unpacked 1 Corinthians 15. He said this, for what I received. And then he said, Jesus gave it to me, a free gift, the story of Jesus that changed me, a, a free gift that changed my foul mouth. From speaking filth into speaking words of life, that message, that very message, what I received changed my heart of stone into heart of flesh. He said, I passed it on to you. He said, I now, what I have, I give away what you have, you should give away. He said, I passed on to you as of first importance. I remember him. He he stood back and spread his arms and said, This is the most important message of all time. This is it. Nothing more, nothing better, nothing more supreme, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is better than this fact that Christ died for our sin according to the scripture, and the whole place just said, Amen. And then he slowed down and said that he was buried. He said it like seven times. He was buried. He was buried. He was buried. And then I felt like he looked at me in the fourth row, stared through the back of my skull into my soul, and then he unleashed it on us. He said, Jesus was buried. The problem with most of you people is you're not dead. <laughs> You haven't died yet, and you better die, because until you die, you can't understand the rest of the glorious story of Jesus that on Sunday, the glorious third day, that day when hope sprang eternal, on the third day, he rose again according to the Scriptures and then appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and all God's people said, amen. I mean, it was just epic. That was good preaching. When you can remember the message that many years later, that was good stuff. For the next hour, Dr. Hill preached on 1 Corinthians 15. And he wrapped it up by singing to us, when I survey the wondrous cross, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, demands my life, my soul, my all. Last week, we focused an entire message on a single piece of punctuation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, he was buried and where there should have been a period because that's the way it works for all the rest of us, we die and we're dead, period. Instead, God put a comma. Jesus put a comma because to Jesus Christ, death was neither fatal nor final. And that gives us hope when we all experience the human condition of feeling buried. And we're all going to get there sooner or later. A young lady from our church put it this way. I thought it was so eloquent. Sarah said, a comma is a period with the sprout of hope. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. That's beautiful. Last week, we began our journey towards Easter. We unpacked 1 Corinthians 15, and then we jumped to John chapter 12. Let me give you a breakdown of John chapter 12. It started with a table for five. Last week, Jesus had a dinner party, and in the middle of the dinner party, he tells his guests that he's going to be buried so that we can live. The chapter continues with a parade for one. Jesus goes from Bethany to Jerusalem where he's given a hero's welcome. I call it the most bittersweet moment in all of Scripture because Jesus knew the same people that would proclaim him as king in just a few days would be screaming, crucify him. And it always hits me whenever I look at the triumphal entry of Jesus, it always hits me that The Jewish people in Jerusalem that day had been waiting for thousands of years for their Messiah to show up and he was right there in front of him and they missed him. Don't miss him. He's right in front of you. After the parade on Palm Sunday, there's an appointment for two. We're going to go there in just a moment and then the chapter wraps up before the crucifixion, which will come this Friday I'll make an appeal to the people of God again. I know it's Friday night. You may have other things to do, but you need to understand something as a follower of Jesus. You can't have resurrection Sunday morning unless you go through Good Friday first. So we come together to remember, and it's hard, and it's broken, and it's grief. It's kind of like going to a funeral, but it's important for us to understand the weight of it. We'll be here with all of our campuses together at 6 and 7.30. And then the chapter wraps up with belief for some and rejection for most. Let's go back to the appointment for two. Here's the context. Jerusalem is more crowded and more congested than Seattle on a seafare weekend. That's what happens during Passover. Thousands of people have flocked to Jerusalem. And inside of that crowd is a a small little company of, of Greeks. It's interesting. If you've ever traveled internationally, been walking through an international airport and suddenly heard somebody talking that sounds just like you, I promise you, you're going to stop and make a connection, right? I mean, you can be in the middle of, of, uh, of Ethiopia in an airport and you hear someone that's all of a sudden speaking English with, with a, an accent that you understand, even though we don't think we have an accent in the Pacific Northwest, according to the rest of the world, we actually do. But of a sudden, you hear somebody that sounds like you, you just instantly connect with that person. And that's exactly what happens. There's a group of of Greek people in Jerusalem and they hear Philip talking. One of the disciples, he's from Bethsaida. The interesting thing about Bethsaida is that it was a, a Greek speaking town in Israel and they instantly connect. And here's what the Bible says in John 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Boy, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And here's what's interesting we don't know if they ever have the appointment. It's fascinating because it says the Greeks come to the, to the guys. The guys talk amongst each other. They go to Jesus. We never find out whether or not these Greek people actually make it in front of Jesus or not. Because as soon as they come and bring the request, Jesus just kind of goes a completely different direction. It says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you're a disciple, you probably got really, really excited. I mean, you just came off the parade. It was absolutely fantastic. They're thinking, this is going to get really, really, really good for us. Not so much. Jesus doesn't see them. He doesn't see the request. In fact, he's looking forward to what is coming towards him. He sees the cross. He sees his mission. He sees the pain. He understands what's coming. So he's distracted. He's on a mission to be buried. And instead of saying, okay, bring the guys in, he just goes off on a little bit of an interesting rant. He says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I had my assistant, Diane, do a bunch of research on this, and then I started making some phone calls. I actually ended up talking to a PhD in plant physiology. I didn't even know there was such a thing. I called him and I said, can you explain the process to me about a seed dying? And he got very excited. <laughs> apparently, that's a really big deal. And apparently, not many people call you up and ask you that when you're a plant physiologist. <laughs> this is what he said. That he goes, oh my goodness. He goes, In every seed, there's a cell of diatron that's filled with chlorophyll. We call it the soul. I love that. So he goes, there's a cabbage sole and a cucumber sole and a radish sole. And they're all wrapped up inside of this little diatron filled with chlorophyll. He goes, that diatron embryo contains both a root that goes down into the soil and a shoot that goes up into the sky. And this is where he got really, really excited. He said this, and I quote, this is the miraculous part. Every embryo has an on-off switch. When you bury the seed at 40 degrees for 40 days, the switch goes off. And new life happens. So if the temperature is less than 20 degrees, the seed stays dead. It's completely dormant. It's just there. He goes, if it gets warmer than that, the whole process happens a lot faster. But when it's buried, he goes, at just the right temperature and just the right time, what you think is dead does the unthinkable. And I love these words. He goes, and an agricultural miracle takes place. Out of death comes life. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it multiplies. Jesus continues, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Look at verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and we'll glorify it again. We're going to discuss a topic this morning that nobody really likes talking about. We're going to talk about death. We're going to talk about dying. In our culture, we avoid this topic at every opportunity. We avoid the reality of death even more. But Jesus keeps talking about it. In order to truly live, you have to die first. There's this whole concept of dying to self. How do you do that? How do you die so you can truly live. And Jesus begins to to paint a picture of how we like to hold on to life. We try to to clutch it. We try to control it. We try to manage it. We try to hold on. And, And the tighter we try to grab it, the more elusive it becomes. And then Jesus comes to us. And says, this is actually how you die to yourself. This is how you die. You give your life back to me. You offer it up. You abandon it to me and for me. You surrender it. And when you do under the surface, what is buried actually comes back to life again. But how do you actually do that? The Apostle Paul is constantly on this theme, calling us to the same thing. He uses these words. He says, put to death, therefore, in Colossians 3. Let me read the rest of it to you. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. For how many of us does that describe our commute every single morning? (laughs) Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Paul keeps saying, you're going to have to learn how to die. You got to put to death that old nature. He also says this in Romans chapter six, therefore do not let sin reign. Let me finish it. In your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I think Paul's asking a question. What in you needs to die? What part of your brokenness needs to die? Let's go three levels deep and see whether or not we can find some life in there. Level number one, I just, I call this stuff the sin on the surface. It's sinful acts that we all do. We're at work and we're having a conversation and we find ourselves talking about somebody who's not actually there with us in that moment. And we say something disparaging and we spread a little story around. It's gossip. It's a sin and Jesus died for it. I take something that isn't mine. I justify it. I know it's wrong, but I do it anyway, so I just, I bury myself in the acts that are just right there on the surface. Let's go a little deeper. A little deeper inside of each one of us are these entrenched patterns. These are these long-standing patterns of behavior that resist my very best shot to overcome them. That's why we do the hard work of recovery around here. That's why those who are doing recovery They border on hero status for us because they are doing this work. They are digging in deep. They are digging in hard. And it's an ugly excavation of what is truly within us. And they come to this point where they realize willpower is not going to get them through that. So they surrender the habits that are killing them and they move into a divine exchange. The worst of us for the best of Jesus. We got to experience this on Monday this past week at our staff chapel. We had a time of reflection, just preparing our hearts as we get ready to prepare Easter for our church family. Pastor Melanie and Pastor Derek helped us come to a moment. We actually have, we have a cross that has a slot cut in the top of it. We call it a cares cross and sometimes we just put things in there that are breaking our hearts and that we know are breaking God's heart too. And they gave us a three by five card and we had to answer a simple question. What needs to die in you? And then they invited us to come forward and to put the worst of us into the cross. And then we could go either to the right or to the left because there were communion tables waiting for us on both sides. And we went from the heartbreak of what happened at the cross to the beautiful opportunity of receiving the best. It was the worst of us for the best of him. I would describe it this way. The exercise was divinely horrible. My worst for God's best, and we're going to do something similar on Good Friday. It's deep stuff. But I think there's a level of sin in us that's even deeper. And I know it's not politically correct to talk about sin anymore. I don't care. My name's Grant. I'm a sinner. Underneath of all of that is the sin that's born within us. You know, when my kids were born, I thought they were perfect. And then they turned two. (laughs) And I began to realize something. There's something wicked inside of those kids. I think they picked it up in the church nursery because it didn't come from Laurel and I. <laughs> They're interacting with your children. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Right? But there's this thing that we just see and we spend our whole life trying to bring it under control, trying to cure wicked we use education and environment and therapy and we do our best to surround them with good families and they are and that all of that stuff is so noble and good but here's the problem none of that can fix a sin problem only jesus can fix a sin problem And we all have the levels on the surface, a little bit deeper in those entrenched patterns or habits, and a little bit deeper inside of the very soul that we have. Let me explain to you just a couple of of the most challenging areas that I found to bring under subjection when I'm trying to die to myself. Dying to yourself is most challenging when it comes to your giftedness. That may surprise you. God gives you gifts and abilities. That's the best of you, and it's good. But when you use your gifts and abilities to, to create an identity for you, when you use those gifts and abilities to impress people, to draw accolades to yourself, when you use those gifts and abilities to win at all costs in this game of human competition, you have a decision to make. You have to die to your gifts or they'll kill you. Here's another tough area. Your need to control Relationships. I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with this. In fact, I think we all share this if we're going to be really, really honest. I think as human beings, uh, we could all fall victim to this one. It kind of goes like this in my world. If you speak well of me, it's easy for me to love you. If you take a good report of me to someone, I actually will tend to love you even more. But when you get critical or become a little too helpful, I'll be honest. I think just like you, my love can get really cold really, really fast. John Ortberg said this, when I'm not dying to myself, I mostly treat other people based on how they make me feel. So we try to control. Here's the last one that's difficult. Call me your appetites. Every one of us in this room is a collection of appetites. Some of the appetites are good. Your appetite for food actually keeps you alive. It's a good thing. But when you feed every appetite inside of you excessively, you end up becoming a slave to it and and it, it kills you. One of the ways we try to come back against these appetites is we have to convince our body that we don't need everything that our body tells us we need. There's a biblical spiritual discipline. It's been around forever. It's called fasting. It's where you say no to your body for food so that you can spend time with Jesus praying. You make yourself intentionally weak so that he can show up strong. Now, if you just don't eat for the sake of not eating, that's just a bad diet, okay? But when you have a spiritual outcome, where you're ushering in a greater degree of God's presence in your life, there's a beautiful piece. Some of you need to tell your body no this week on purpose. No to your body can often mean yes to Jesus. That that sounds daunting, doesn't it? Three different levels and then three difficult areas to tack. This is difficult work. It's unbelievably daunting. You know how I know this is daunting? Because the Son of God struggled with it. Listen to him speak from what we read before. He goes, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Henry Nouwen once said these words. Yes, Lord, I have to die. With you, through you, and in you. And thus become ready to recognize you when you appear to me in the resurrection. He goes, there's so much in me that needs to die. False attachments, greed and anger, impatience and stinginess. Oh, Lord, I'm self-centered, concerned about myself, my career, my future, and my fame. Often I feel I use you to my own advantage. Dying to self is so hard. Why in the world would you want to do that? Let me tell you why. Because it's the only way you actually live. It's the only way to truly live. That's why Jesus was so clear. If you want to follow me, you have to die first. You have to willingly become buried in God's grace. But here's the cool thing. You can't do it alone and you don't need to do it alone. No one other than Jesus can do this in their own strength. We all need God's help. Listen to the Apostle Paul lay out a testimony about himself. He goes, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And I'll tell you what, if there was a period at the end of that sentence, that would be really, really bad. But there's a question mark, which means it's a question, which also means there's an answer. Paul says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in, sinful, in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Paul saying, I'm delivered from the grave of myself by the one who was buried, but who did bury it in a completely different way than anyone else ever had before, and everyone else ever will. Only Jesus can do this because he actually went first. Unless a seed, a kernel of wheat, falls in the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it falls in the ground and dies, it multiplies over and over again. Jesus did it once and he's doing it again over and over again. Jesus willingly died and was buried, but that wasn't the end of the story. And I've been thinking, getting ready for Easter weekend. Please pray for me as I get ready to preach these messages. We're going to share a story with you that will break your heart and give you hope. I'm going to introduce you to a young couple via a story next weekend. Who, that They have been buried deeper than anyone I've ever met before in my lifetime. And the only thing that kept them together and saved them was Jesus. It is an unbelievably impactful story. I hope you won't miss it. But as I've been preparing and thinking about this whole idea of planted versus buried, I've been thinking about this truth. It just kind of popped into my brain. And I hope that it'll do something inside of you. Because in John chapter 19, it says they took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb, which was in a garden. If you travel with me to Israel, we will take you to the garden tomb. It's a beautiful place. But I kind of thought about it this way. The devil's biggest mistake was that he buried Jesus in a garden. Think about it. What did he think was going to happen? You put something dead into the ground in a garden, and what happens? An agricultural miracle. <laughs> a supernatural miracle. I mean, stuff planted in a garden grows again, whether you understand it or not. It produces fruit. It produces new life. I don't think the devil thought that one through. Maybe you should have buried Jesus on a street. He put him in a garden. The devil thought it was over. He thought he won. He thinks that you're done too. He thinks that you're finished. He thinks you've given up. He thinks that you have put a period at the end of a sentence. It's not a period, it's a comma because Jesus said it was a comma. He thinks you're buried deep and you aren't coming back. He thinks you're buried in fear and greed and selfishness and the shame of your past. But the story of Easter isn't over when Jesus was buried. The story of Easter is just getting started when he comes back to life again. What if it's the same for you? What if you're planted not buried? What if you opened your heart this year to the one who came back from the grave and be buried once and for all? As we close, I, I, I tried to summarize all of this with one little statement. I put it in your outline this way. Jesus allowed himself to be buried in our sin. That's Good Friday. So that we could be buried in grace. That's actually the process of sanctification and the beautiful moment of salvation. So that out of dying to ourselves, that's that sanctification part of us that continues to work away so that we could truly live. And in truly living, we are always planted, not buried. Whenever I went to Mount Zion to hear Dr. Hill preach, that was my favorite part. I could listen to him preach for hour upon hour upon hour, and sometimes that's exactly what he did. My second favorite moment of Mount Zion was not the preaching, it was the offering. For some of you, I just completely solidified a stereotype, let me explain. During the offering at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, they didn't bring the buckets to you, you came to the buckets. The pastor stood up across the front. They were all holding offering plates. And the music would begin to go. And rhythm would just enter into the room. And the entire congregation would stand row by row, one at a time. Walk to the front and bring their offering to the front of the building. It was none of this buckets coming to you. (laughs) They came to the buckets. And on my second visit to Mount Zion Missionary Baptist... I happened to be seated right behind a precious little grandma who was about the same size as Dr. Hill, and she had the biggest hat that I have ever seen in my life on her head. It was white with feathers, tipped just perfectly at an angle, and she did church all morning long, and she inspired me. I just need, I need to find a whole new edge when it comes to worshiping Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, she was just right there. It was so beautiful. And when it came time for the offering, she pulled a white envelope out of her purse and I followed her and she danced from the back of the building all the way to the front. And I would try to imitate her, but it would end up on video somewhere and it is not happening (laughs) She waved that like a surrender flag from the back all the way to the front. And when she dropped it in the offering plate, she stood around, faced the congregation, and went. (laughs) It was so beautiful. Do you know what she was doing? She was putting something to death. She was putting to death the lie that money can satisfy and she was sprouting with the hope that there is joy in generosity. She sprouted right in front of me. One part going deep down into the soul of a generous God who didn't even withhold his own son. The other part of her sprouting to the sky in praise saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. My prayer today is that we're going to sprout something new, some new hope. Can we be honest? For many of us, we're not going to invite anyone to Easter because the fear of man has us crippled. We're buried in it. We're terrified of rejection. We're terrified of what might happen if someone just says, no thanks, appreciate it. We're terrified of thinking that somehow that's attached to our soul and that God is going to be disappointed with us if we can't get our entire street to come to Easter. Can I tell you something? It's not about whether or not they come. It's about whether or not you're obedient to open the gates and open the doors. You're not responsible for their response. You're responsible to be obedient. To whom much has been given, much will be required. Freely you have received, freely give. That's not me talking, that's Bible. And I get the fear, I understand it. I know how intimidating it can be. And yet God asks us this week to practice what we preach. Are you willing to die to the fear of man so that you can thrive in the fear, the beautiful fear of God? Will you die to your fear so that others can find the path to real life? In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. And instead of just releasing you today, I'm commissioning you to go to the commons and to pick up some invitations. And then to pray all week, God, I need to die to myself. Myself says, I'm not talking to anybody about this stuff. And God keeps saying, you will be my witnesses. You're a part of my vision for this community. I put you here on purpose. What you have received freely give away. So I'd like to commission you to be courageous, to commission you to be hopeful, to commission you to be joyful so that you can not only dance all the way to the front of church, but that you can dance all the way across the finish line of heaven you stand with me as we pray this morning? Father God, for my brothers and my sisters this morning, as we enter into holy week, as we reflect on the tragedy of the cross and the joy of the resurrection, Lord, I pray that we would become your witnesses, your ambassadors. God, help us to kill that fearful part inside of us that says, I just don't think I can do it. God, I pray that we would be mindful all week that Jesus went to the cross for us. How can we not go to the people next door or the people in the cubicle or the people in our family that share our same last name? God, would you give us courage and strength to be released into Whatcom County. Lord, I believe this is the holiest moment of church when the church gathered becomes the church scattered. So Father God, in Jesus' name right now, strengthen us, help us to die to the fear of man so that we can live fully and completely for Jesus this week because it will be in his good name. His resurrected name that we will gather on Good Friday and Easter weekend to celebrate the fact that you did not stay buried. So God, may we be planted in your grace and your mercy this week. And may new life sprout because of a miracle in our own soul. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said.